Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Church Podcast. Pastor Justin did have me with his camera, so I took most of that footage. Um, well, it was an amazing trip, and I, I sent a note a couple of days ago to uh, the guys there, and I said, are they still using the playground? That's what I want to know. And they said, oh, 24-7, we have to, like, fight them to get off the uh, playground because they just love what's, you know, this thing. And so just thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for making such an investment that's already having an impact there in Kenya. Um, Bailey's with me up here on the stage today, and so I'd like to give her the opportunity to greet you guys before we look at God's Word together. I just know Pastor Casey and I were texting back and forth, and the guys were over there. We're like, I don't know if we're going to let him come home. This is not fair. We need to be there while they were <laughs> dedicating these playgrounds. It was hard to not be there with those sweet, sweet little buddies, and I'm excited to be back soon and get to see those in person. Thank you guys so much for your support, and not just in giving. It's amazing the things that we've been able to do together. We're an extension of what you guys are doing here, but your encouragement, your prayers mean so much. I know we get to sneak in every now and then, um, especially this time of year. I've been back for the past month, and when I haven't been speaking places, I've been able to be here, and it's always a joy to be with you guys, but we love you, and we so appreciate your encouragement. The little notes on Facebook sometimes are random as we pass through you. pass through you, pass by you, it's third service, Um, (laughs) in the lobbies and things. Uh, Thank you for your heart for building Foundation Church, being a part of his body here in Tulsa and globally. Um, I just want to pray. Stephen's got an awesome word this morning. Hope you came in prepared. Hope you guys had a great Christmas holiday and just believing that God's going to continue to do amazing things in your life and in the lives of those who attend this church in the new year. So if we can, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that you are here, that you are faithful, that you gave your son and that Jesus, you gave your life. As we reflected this past week over Christmas, the humility in which you came into this earth, Jesus, is the same way that you humbly stand before each and every one of us, wanting us to choose you, wanting us to choose your life and the goodness that you have to offer. And Holy Spirit, we just saying that you're welcome in this place. But we say that this morning, that you are welcome to move. You're welcome to shape our lives. You're welcome to do what only you can do. Lord, I just felt that those, um, that we sang in that second song, you've not forsaken me, that there's those in this place this morning 
that maybe feel like you, they've, that this is the last hope, this is the last, I don't know if God's real. I pray you would speak this yes, morning. Jesus. Not just through Stephen, but just of your own spirit in the yeah. own way that only you can. Right. That they are not forsaken in this place this morning. And Lord, as we are gathered as a body of Christ this morning here at Foundation Church, third service, we don't want to forget those in the body of Christ around the world who couldn't gather publicly this week, this Christmas week, to proclaim the name of Jesus publicly. Lord, we speak strength to your persecuted church. May you give the church boldness in this hour, that they would be light, that they would be salt, all the way from the Maasai Mara to dark places, that they only maybe have portions of your word. We don't want to take it for granted this morning that we can open up our Bible apps and sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. So we thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just speak to our hearts this morning. We give you praise, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bailey. Awesome. Well, it's a joy to be with you guys again. Uh, For those of you who prayed for us while we were doing this uh, playground trip, uh, Kenya has been experiencing the heaviest rains in like 50 to 60 years. And so the weeks leading up to the trip was six to eight hours a day of torrential downpour. And for the three days that we actually needed to get to the site and get the playgrounds built, it almost completely stopped except for a slight drizzle. And then the final video there was what you saw on the Saturday right before we left. And the heavens opened up again. And And they say that it has been raining like that every day since, four to five hours a day, no end in sight. So thank you for praying. It was like God smiled long enough for those playgrounds to get uh, constructed. So I think that's a cool uh, testimony of his faithfulness in answering prayer. Uh, for those of you that are in mourning over yesterday's OU loss, we will have a grief counseling session uh, down the hall after service. <laughs> uh, today, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a word, and I'm going to do it teaching style, all right? So Sometimes when I preach, I like to stand up. When I teach, I kind of like to uh, sit down. So uh, pretend that you are in class this morning, (laughs) and we're going to look at the Great Commission together, Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to go through some of these uh, verses here. And the title of the message today is simply this, Mission, Commission, or Omission, okay? Mission, Commission, or Omission. Now, I know some of you a little bit more intellectually inclined, so I came up with a secondary academic title of Ecclesiastical and Pneumatic Imperatives for Missiological Momentum and Praxis, uh, hashtag Tim Grice. <laughs> but anyway, we will we'll, we'll, uh, just stick with mission, commission, or omission. And to set this uh, message up, I kind of want to ask this question, and the question is this, are you living your life on mission? Or maybe another way of saying that would be, are you living a life that makes an impact for eternity? Uh, Some 20 years ago, a friend of mine shared with me excerpts from the poem written by C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was the most famous cricketer, uh, cricket player of his uh, age and generation. He would be the equivalent of a modern day uh, athletic superstar. And God called him to be a missionary and to leave the cricket fields behind. And so he moved to China, he moved to India, he moved to Africa. Uh, as a missionary, served his whole life, uh, eventually dying in the Congo. And he wrote this poem, and there's two lines that are kind of repeated throughout the poem that gripped me when I first read it, and it goes like this. It says, one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As we conclude another decade, 
I was thinking about how quick time passes by. And particularly, I thought, you know, there were 3,650 days that we just lived in the last decade. 87,600 hours. 5,256,000 minutes. 315 million seconds that felt like that, right? And so it got me thinking about C.T. Studd's poem once again. One life, it's soon going to be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so the challenge today is simply this. Are you living on mission? And we're going to try to combine the two core values or two of our core values here at FC that hopefully everybody's aware of. And that would be growing equals changing and found people find people. And I'm going to suggest today that these two collide in this idea of God's mission. All right. So we're going to Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. And we are going to uh, read from the NIV. One preacher joked it's the nearly inspired version, but I don't like making jokes in my message, so I'm not going to make it. All right, so that was a joke. Okay, never mind. Uh, Jesus says, or Matthew says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Uh, For those of you who have heard me speak before, you know that I like to start off a uh, message with a cheesy joke. So the cheesy joke for this one goes something like this. A bagpiper, someone who plays the bagpipes, is asked by a funeral director to play at a funeral for a homeless guy in the backwoods of Oklahoma. The funeral director tells him there are no signs or clear-cut roads, so it may be difficult to find. The bagpiper says, no problem. He starts off in his car and gets lost uh, once he nears the general area. And he's beginning to have his doubts that he will ever find it. But finally, he arrives one hour late and sees the backhoe and the crew eating lunch. The hearse and the funeral director are gone, but it's understandable because, after all, he's one hour late. So he goes over to the side of the grave, and he sees the vault lid already in place, and so he decides to play his bagpipes with everything he's got. And so he starts into amazing grace, and tears are pouring down his face, and the workers come over and start listening to this man, and tears are pouring down their face. And after some time, he says, well, I've done my duty. He goes back to his car, and he hears one of the workers say to another guy, That was really moving. I've never seen anything like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. (laughs) Now, while this may seem unrelated, Taylor just got it. Good job, Taylor. While this may seem unrelated, the context of this passage is really quite interesting because if you go through this too quickly, you'll miss one key word which appears right away in verse 16, and this takes us to our first point, which is mission and doubt. Mission and doubt. So in verse 16, the message translation puts it this way. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Now, verse 16 is very striking to me because this is not what I would think Matthew would communicate in terms of describing this final moment that Jesus is going to share with his disciples. I'm thinking it's going to say something to the effect in verse 16, and the disciples saw Jesus, and they were filled with great boldness at the resurrected Savior. 
Or maybe something like, Behold, the mighty Savior, alive and well, conqueror of death and his valiant men, right? Instead, Matthew makes it very clear that some doubted. Did you see that? Some doubted. Now, if we were going to modernize this a little bit, I could see Peter busting out his iPhone and walking up to Jesus and opening up Instagram and taking a picture of himself with uh, Jesus and uh, himself and putting the hashtag in there, what up now, Pontius Pilate, right? Or John gets out his cell phone and goes on Twitter and tags at Herod Agrippa, time to eat a Jesus resurrection sandwich, right? But instead, Matthew is clear, some doubt it. So here's the question that kind of intrigued me about this passage. Why did they doubt? Did they doubt the mission? And when we talk about mission, let's set that up for a little bit. We're talking about God's redemptive purpose that you can trace from Genesis all the way here in the beginning, all the way through to Revelation in the end. Genesis 3, God makes a promise to Adam and Eve. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It's a prophetic statement that indicates what would take place thousands of years later at the cross of Calvary. When Jesus comes out of the tomb, we know that he is the king, the conqueror. He has defeated sin, self, and ultimately Satan by crushing his head, right? So the mission of God, uh, Latin there's a Latin phrase for it that theologians use, and it's missio dei. It just means the mission of God. You can trace the mission of God all the way through from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Uh, Matthew makes it clear for us in Matthew 18.1. He says that not only was God on a mission in the Old Testament, but God's on a mission in the New Testament, right? And uh, 18.1 puts it this way. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost, right? For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So I don't think they were necessarily doubting the mission. Could they have been doubting the resurrection? Uh, this passage is interesting because it's in the larger context of Matthew 28, and Matthew 28 uh, details the resurrection of Christ. And so Matthew goes to great lengths to talk about angels and earthquakes and terrified Romans and false stories and secretive meetings, and frantic women, an empty tomb, and ultimately a resurrected Christ, right? And so, and then verse 16 tells us that the 11 disciples saw Jesus. So I don't think it's so much that they doubted the mission. I don't think it's so much that they doubted the resurrection. So what did they doubt? And I think at some level, the answer has to come back that they doubted themselves. Now, why make a big deal of this? Well, I think that we make a big deal of this because many of us hear this idea of mission. Are you living on mission? Are you making your life count? We hear C.T. Studd's poem, and immediately we have the same reaction as the disciples. We begin to doubt. We begin to say, that could never be true of my life. I've made too many mistakes, or I come from this side of the railroad tracks, or fill in the blank with your particular excuse as to why you would view your life as not being a candidate for being included in God's mission. And so as they're doubting themselves, um, we're making a big deal of this because I think that it's not only applicable for the 11, but I think it's applicable to you and me. You know, oftentimes uh, after I'll finish speaking, people will come up to me and they'll say something to the effect, man, what you do is amazing. There's no way that I could ever do anything like that. And my simple response is usually something like this. Not only could you do something like that, but the Bible actually expects it from you. 
Now, I don't mean planting churches in Kenya or leading church planting conferences in Burundi or teaching theological courses in Paris. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this idea of living on mission, of making your life count for something bigger than yourself, of getting a hold of what God wants to do in this hour and this generation and saying, you know what? I've been given certain talents, certain gifts, certain abilities, certain opportunities, certain financial resources that when leveraged possibly, properly, would be able to make a significant impact for the kingdom of God. It reminds me of a little story that I've shared before here at FC, but it goes like this. Uh, There's four people in the kingdom of God named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There's an important calling to advance the kingdom of God, and everybody's just sure that somebody's going to do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody actually did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Just a simple play on words to illustrate this idea that when each of us gets serious about this idea that our lives have significance in the kingdom and that there is a calling, an invitation, a responsibility as it relates to this idea of mission. When you come to Matthew 28, I'm taking all of this time just to set up this context that many of you may associate with the exact feelings that the disciples had. When they are about to enter into this moment of being uh, participants of the mission of God, their immediate gut-level response is, not me. This can't, this, this is too great. This is too much. And I just want to come, come and, 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 and encourage each of us today that Jesus invites you, and instead of disqualifying you, he actually qualifies you. That's the awesome message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that he, as king, as savior, he has already paid the price, and that when we come to him in faith and response and surrender our lives, then there's only one response that makes sense, and that's, Lord, I want to be a part of your mission right? I want to be a part of your mission. Now notice that it says here, and some doubted. Now I like that because it implies that it's not just one person who doubted. Everyone ever heard of Thomas, Tommy the doubter, right? He says, Jesus, I won't believe unless I put my fingers in your hands and in your feet, right? And we give Thomas a really bad rap, especially around the uh, resurrection time, Easter time. But Matthew's clear here, and he says it wasn't just Tommy that doubted. There were many that were doubting, just like there's probably many of you in this place today that are doubting that your life could ever really make a significant impact for the kingdom. So here's the question. Why do we doubt ourselves? And I think at some level, the answer looks something like this. Even subtle doubt about the character and nature of God will cause you to eventually doubt yourself. At some point, as we doubt God, we start to doubt ourselves. Because if I can't trust what he says about himself, how in the world am I going to trust what he says about me? So some doubt it, right? Some doubt it. Now, I love how Matthew sets this up because he's going to give us the solution to the doubt in the same verse that he brings out the doubt. Uh, For many of us, we may think that the opposite of doubt is faith, right? Doubt, one hand, faith, the other hand. But what Matthew brings out is interesting because he doesn't actually paint it in terms of faith and doubt. He paints it in terms of worship and doubt. And I think this is really significant because worship becomes one of the primary factors that goes into living a life that's on mission for God. And so I love how Piper, John Piper illustrates this. He puts it this way. Missions exists because worship does not. 
So the ultimate goal of missions is not to see more people come to Jesus necessarily. It's not even to plant more churches. It's not even to, you know, feed the hungry. The ultimate goal of missions at some point is to invite more people to have the opportunity to worship Jesus as their supreme king and Lord in their life. And, you know, we don't have time to do it today, but we could go all the way to the end of Revelation and we see this prophetic picture of Jesus on the throne, and we see the nations gathered around him. John says every tribe, tongue, nation, people group are assembled there. And what comes out of that in the next few verses is they are lost in white-hot, passionate worship of who Jesus is. Now, why is this significant? Because so often when it comes to worship, we say something like this. I'll worship if I feel like I want to worship. Or I'll worship if I feel God's presence. Or I'll worship if Shannon really gets into it or whoever else is on the worship team. And at some level, Matthew's trying to help us understand, no, that's not why you worship. You don't worship because of a feeling. You worship based upon a decision that says, I understand that Jesus is on mission. And at some point down the road, though we may not have walked into the fullness of that picture yet, Jesus will receive the worship of every people group, of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. That's why I love going into the Mara and seeing what God's doing. 30 years ago, If you would have told people in Kenya that the Maasai are coming to the gospel, responding to the claims of Christ, they would have laughed at you because the Maasai were known as like the most ferocious warriors in all of East Africa. And today you can talk to those same church leaders. I sat with one of them a few weeks ago and he told me, Steve, if you want to be a part of a biblical book of Acts revival, there's only one place in Kenya where you can experience that and that's among the Maasai people. Now, that is awesome to me because when I go into these church services, and by the way, like we're at like what, church number 10 now? Uh, I should know, I guess, because I'm the one who opened the coordinator, but somewhere around 10. And at every single one of these places, it's like 50 to 100 people are coming to Jesus as soon as the church goes in. And you watch these young people and they're lost in the white hot passionate worship of Jesus and you hear them singing in Ma and they're singing and they're saying you're worthy Lamb of God in the Ma language and it's this precursor of a prophetic image that was given in the book of Revelation that one day every tribe and tongue would be gathered around his throne. And so I say all that because there's many times that I doubt. And people say, well, how do you get over your doubt? And I say that the best answer is the answer that Matthew gave. I choose to worship. I choose to remember who he is and his missional purpose and that I have a small part to play in that. So point number one is this idea of mission and doubt. Mission and doubt, okay? Point number two is another idea that comes out of this passage from verse 19, commission and authority. Commission and authority. Verse 19, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, right? So commission and authority. Jesus says, go to all nations. The Greek word nation here is ethne. It's where we get the English word ethnic, as in an ethnic group, as in a distinct geopolitical or linguistic group um, alive on planet Earth, right? So what Jesus is literally saying to the disciples then and to every disciple since is this idea of go to all the ethnic groups and make disciples of them. Now we're talking about this idea of commission. And that's a little bit of a big word. Uh, In fact, George Barna, who is a researcher in California, uh, went and did a survey last year in 2018, and he polled churchgoers in America nationwide to ask them if they knew what the Great Commission was, okay? The Great Commission. 
51% of those polled said they had never heard of it. 6% said they weren't sure if they had heard about it. 25% said, yeah, we think we've heard about it, but we have no idea what it means. Only 17% of respondents knew what it was and what it meant. So that's roughly one in five. So I don't want to assume anything today. But my assumption, I guess, is that most of us here are hopefully aware of this idea of Great Commission because FC does a really good job of making a big deal out of it. But in case you don't, in case you've never heard that terminology before, uh, when we talk about the Great Commission, we're talking about this passage of Scripture at the end of Matthew, and we are using the word commission for the idea of an underlying uh, charge or invitation that we refer to as missions, okay? So this is the outward extension of the mission of Christ. And when we say the outward extension of the mission of Christ, we're talking both globally as well as locally. So it's going to the Maasai Mara and helping to facilitate church planting. But it's also equally true to say that I'm uh, walking in the commission of Christ by going across the street to Key Elementary and being a lunch buddy and being a model of Jesus' love to some of these kids that would not know him otherwise. So why the word commission? Well, it comes from two words in English, co being the prefix, and then mission, as we've already talked about. So co means to do something together, right? So we have cooperate, right? So if someone is going to operate in partnership with somebody else, they are going to cooperate. You have the English word uh, coexist. If two parties are going to exist together in the same spot, then we say in English they coexist. So when it comes to this idea of co-mission, what we're saying is there are two parties that have agreed that they are going to enter into the mission together in order to accomplish it for God's glory. And those two parties are you, me, and our response to Jesus as the king, right? Now, why is that important? Because so many times when we start talking about co-missions and missions and this and that, people start to go, that's intimidating. I could never do that. And I love this idea of commission because it reminds me every time that it's not my mission. It's his mission. And as I am faithful to walk out his mission, he comes and he helps me to accomplish it. The way that I like to illustrate it is the uh, elephant and the mouse who are about to cross over the wooden bridge and there's this uh, canyon between them. And so the mouse is scared because it's really high. And so he tells the elephant, can I jump on your back? And the elephant goes, yes, right? And so the mouse jumps on the back of the elephant. They walk across the bridge. It shakes, you know, a lot because the elephant's really heavy. They get to the other side and the mouse jumps off and he goes, whoa, we really shook that one, didn't we? And at some level, it's a poignant reminder to all of us that no matter how many churches go in or how many Maasai come to Jesus or how many schools we start or how many playgrounds we get going, at some level, we're the mouse and he's the elephant, right? And so it's this idea of commission, that there's a partnership where he does the heavy lifting. And I think the disciples here are intimidated. They're wrestling with the uncertainty of what do you mean go into all the world? What are you talking about? And Jesus is going to try to help them understand what he's talking about in verse 18 because he brings out this idea of authority, right? Authority. He says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Now, what authority is he talking about? Uh, It's interesting as you study the Gospels, Jesus has a particular nickname that he likes to use for himself, okay? And the nickname that he uses is Son of Man. In fact, a hundred times throughout the four Gospels, Jesus will refer to himself as the Son of Man. And the Gospel writer who uses this term the most is actually Matthew. So throughout the chapters of Matthew, when you read Son of Man, it's talking about Jesus. Now, why is that important and where does that come from? Well, it's a prophetic... um, 
prophecy, I guess prophecies are prophetic, from the book of Daniel, all right? So you can go back to Daniel chapter 7. It's the first mention of this idea of the Son of Man, and listen to what Daniel sees and the connection that exists between Son of Man and authority. Daniel puts it this way, I was watching in the night visions, and with the clouds of the sky, one like a Son of Man was approaching. He went up to the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, and was escorted before him. To him was given ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty. All peoples, nations, and language groups were serving him. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. So here's this prophetic image of Jesus, the king, having the authority, right? And then in the New Testament, I mean, there's so many illustrations we could use, but uh, Jesus says this about himself in Luke 10, 22. All things have been committed to me by my Father. In John 3.35, he says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. In John 17.2, he says, For the Father has granted the Son authority over all people that he might give them eternal life. In Ephesians 1.20-21, it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Remember, Jesus said authority on earth and in heaven, right? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in the age but also in the one to come. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Therefore God exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So what is Jesus doing when he uses this term authority? He's offering a fresh revelation of himself as the cure for doubt and spiritual lethargy. Let me put it this way. Your walk with Christ will only be as dynamic as your revelation of his identity and your understanding of his authority. Can I say that again? Your walk with Christ will only be as dynamic as your revelation of his identity and your understanding of his authority. Now, I know I just went through a ton of scripture verses, and so I was wrestling with that, and I was saying, Lord, how do I make this concept applicable to where we are at FC on the last Sunday of the decade? And the idea that came to me was the idea of the lion. And I want you to imagine, if you've ever watched Discovery Channel, and for those of you that have been to the Mara or some other African wilderness setting, imagine a little antelope who's no more than a couple feet tall, and he walks over to a male lion, and he looks at the male lion, and he says, are you really the king of the jungle, right? And the answer of the lion is to roar with all 125 decibels. Did you know that you can hear a lion roar from five miles away? Tim Grice and I were sharing a tent, and one night as we were about to go to bed, all of a sudden we heard that somewhere in the distance, and of course it's pitch black, so you don't know where he is. And I can tell you every hair on my arm is standing up on its end as this lion is roaring. No wonder the Bible compares King Jesus to the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And so it's just this beautiful picture that when it comes to his authority, that he has called us to go on mission in his behalf. So how do we do this? Let's make this practical. Well, I came up with four verbs, like the authority of Jesus allows us to pray. The authority of Jesus calls us to give. The authority of Jesus inspires us to go. And the authority of Jesus motivates us to share. 
right? This idea of pray. Like, how do we be, a, how do we be on mission? Well, can I just challenge us? Let's, as a community of believers, let's be praying for our brothers and sisters in the Maasai Mara. Let's pray for these pastors that are starting these new churches. Let's pray for these young people that are being impacted for these schools. Let's keep believing that Jesus is going to change a generation. And if you have already done that and you are doing that, then begin to pray for places like Somalia. Begin to pray for places like North Korea where there are no, very few known believers. And let's believe that as we pray in his authority that there is going to come light into the darkness and give. And I don't think I have to talk about this very much between over the last 18 months or so, you guys have given over $150,000 to put in new churches and to put in schools and to be able to help with these playgrounds. And so thank you from the bottom of our heart for the difference you're making. But just remember that when we give, it's not just because Pastor Justin asked us. It's not because someone on stage said that's a good idea. It's because we understand the authority of Christ that he was promised the ends of the earth as his inheritance. And we get to enter into that mission by being a part of giving. And then there's the idea of going, right? And we could talk about missions trips, but just basically this idea of living your life in such a way that you, wherever you go, wherever you are, this last part of this, of this passage here says, and surely I'm with you even until the ends of the age. This idea that Jesus is with us through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, you are an ambassador. You are a representative and you have the opportunity to share, which is the fourth word, Jesus' love and Jesus' grace. Um, I love where we are in America right now just because the nations are coming to us. And this is not a political statement. This is just an observation that it's so neat to see. Like when I take Ubers and Lyfts, when Bailey and I have the opportunity to travel in other cities, most of the drivers are like from other countries. Like they're from Hungary and they're from, one guy was from Syria the other day. Uh, there was a Pakistani. And so I, I asked the guy and I'm just like, you know, where are you from? And, you know, with his Indian accent, he said, I'm from Pakistan or Pakistani accent. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I asked him questions. And just through this simple conversation on an Uber ride, he begins to open up his heart and he's saying, I had so many problems, but do you know this is that and struggles? And I'm not trying to make fun of everybody. I just, that was, that, he barely spoke English. And by the time the end of the cab ride was over, I said, hey, can, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, you can. And so sometimes we make this share thing. We make this, this, this go thing. We make it so complicated. If I raise $5,000 and go on a mission trip to Tumbuktu, then maybe I can fulfill this. No, Jesus is bringing him right here to our backyard. So this idea of commission and authority, right? As an aside note, I didn't share this in any of the other two services, so you're welcome. Um, it's interesting here when Jesus talks about uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's one of the clearest indications in the New Testament for what theologians call the Trinitarian a formula. In other words, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And we, could, I mean, I could talk about this for a lot, but it's interesting. C.S. Lewis, you may have heard that name. Uh, when he was coming out of atheism and agnosticism, he was wrestling between, do I become a pantheist and monist? Pantheist being someone who believes that God is in all inanimate objects. It's what the Maasai people are. They're animists, all right? A monist, God's just one. Or do I become a Christian? And it was the concept of the Trinity that swayed him towards the Christian faith because he understood that only within the idea of a Trinity could you have this idea of God is love. Because if God is just singular, who was he loving before he created, right? And so this idea here is just, oh, it's so powerful, but we're moving right along. All right, so point number three, and I'm closing with this, and you guys know when a preacher says he's closing, it means whew, 
Nada, right? That's Spanish for nothing, okay? Uh, omission and obedience. Omission and obedience. Verse 19, obey everything I have commanded you. Obey everything I have commanded you. So we've talked about the outward mission of God. And what I've found in America is that it's really uh, pretty easy to get people motivated and pumped up about the outward mission of God. Because all we got to do is throw a video up here of some kids coming down the slide and everyone loses their mind, right? My wife's in tears and, oh, it's so cute, you know, and it is, I love it, right? And we can talk about the outward mission. We can talk about going, serving, teaching, preaching, reaching, training, building, speaking, organizing, imparting, restoring, ministering, and everybody goes, yeah, woo, the outward mission of God, it's exciting, right? And it is exciting. I love, I love it. But there's another aspect of the mission of God that's rather less appealing. And it's found right here in this passage. And it involves inner conformity to the character and person of Christ. Notice with me verse 19. Uh, it's interesting that the only actual verb in this entire passage actually is not go or even baptize or even teach. In the Greek, the only verb in this passage is make disciples. Now, it doesn't really work in English because we don't have one word that summarizes that. But if we were to read it in Greek, it would translate something to the effect, in your going, disciple by teaching and baptizing. Now, this is significant to me because Jesus never says make converts or Christians. He says make disciples. And so this is why I entitled this section omission, omission, right? Omission, something left out or excluded, something left out or excluded. Did you know that the term disciple is used in the New Testament over 260 times? By contrast, the term Christian is used three times. So the preponderance of biblical material is on the idea that if someone is going to place their faith in Jesus Christ, you, whether you like it or not, become a Disciple, right? Now, how many of you ever played the game Simon Says growing up? Can I see your hand? All right. You guys are more responsive than the last service. Only two people raised their hand in the last service. I'm like, what country did you grow up in, right? I grew up in Kenya, so I have an excuse. Um, Simon Says, right? So let's, let's, let's try this just to refresh our memories because I know it's probably been a long time. All right. So Simon Says, touch your nose. Okay. There you go. Simon Says, uh, pat your head, right? Simon says, give yourself a pat on the back and punch your neighbor in the face. No, just kidding. Don't punch your neighbor in the face, all right? This idea of Simon says is this idea that we try to implement what is being communicated to us by the person who plays Simon. Now, I'm going to suggest that there's a different game that we play in church, and it's called Jesus Says. And Jesus Says goes something like this. Jesus said some really good things in this book once upon a time, and we have a pastor who's really competent and qualified to get up on the platform and remind us and tell us of those things that Jesus said once upon a time, and we get out our printers and our iPhones, and we take snapshots of some of the verses of the things that Jesus said, but the challenge is we never actually do any of the things that Jesus says. And so Jesus hits on this idea here of obedience, that it's not just enough to hear, it's not just enough to listen, it's not just enough to have somebody competent and qualified in the Greek to break down what's being communicated. At some level, the expectation of discipleship on every believer is this, obedience, obedience, obedience. Listen to how A.W. Tozer sets this up. I think it's really brilliant. He says, I'm feeling that a notable heresy has come into being throughout evangelical Christian circles. The widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as Savior. And that we have the right 
to postpone our obedience to him as Lord as long as we want to. And then he goes on to conclude by saying, salvation apart from obedience is unknown in the sacred scriptures. So being on mission for Christ is all about obedience and allowing Jesus to change us into his image. It's this idea of learning to become a disciple. Now, let me just say this up front. Becoming a disciple is not easy business. Becoming a disciple is hard work. And I'll be the first to stand in line and say that when it comes to the nitty-gritty of our lives, and by that I mean our relationships, our thought patterns, our habits, our addictions, our identity, our temptations, our weaknesses, bringing all of that into the obedience of Christ Jesus as our Lord, not just our Savior, requires work. So many times I think we have this idea that Jesus is the genie who waves the magic wand over our head and says, okay, boom, now everything's taken care of in terms of your spiritual development. And what you find throughout scripture is actually quite to the contrary. Yes, Jesus saves immediately, amazingly, and wonderfully when we put our faith and our trust in him. But at some level, there's hard work and expectation on Christ's part towards his people to say, now, Lord, I will be intentional to begin to implement and develop the call that you have placed in my life to conform my life to the person and image of Jesus Christ. So this is where we get into spiritual disciplines. I'm almost out of time, so I can't talk about it very much. But by spiritual disciplines, it's the idea of mobilizing our flesh to cooperate with our spirit in obeying God. How many of you have ever tried to obey God and your flesh refuses? I'm raising my hand. If you're honest, I mean, this was Paul's struggle in Romans. He says, the thing that I want to do, and I love to do God's will, but my flesh, you know? And it's this idea that there's, we want to be disciples. We want to walk this thing out, but our flesh is fighting against us, right? And this is where the spiritual disciplines come into play, because this is where we begin to train our flesh to receive God's grace, so that instead of fighting against God's will of conformity to our life or sanctification, as Pastor Justin talked about last week, our flesh actually begins to cooperate with the process, Listen to what Dallas Willard said about this, because I think this is really cool. He said, the single most obvious trait of those who profess Christ but do not grow into Christ-likeness is their refusal to take the responsible and time-tested measures for spiritual growth. I almost never meet someone in spiritual coldness, perplexity, distress, and failure who is regular in the use of those spiritual exercises. That's the idea of spiritual disciplines. That will be obvious to anyone familiar with the contents of the New Testament. What's he saying? He's saying, I've never met a cold, backslid Christian who's intentional about implementing the spiritual disciplines in their life. Spiritual disciplines, we're talking about prayer, we're talking about silence, we're talking about fasting, we're talking about solitude, we're talking about journaling, we're talking about giving. Uh, you may be sitting here going, whoa, that is a fire hydrant. And I admit, it's a lot of material. Um, how can you begin to take action steps in this direction in your life? Let me just point you back to the grow class. This is why we set this thing up last year, because we kept talking to people who wanted to take the next step. No, the grow class is not just for new believers. I have talked to at least 10 people who have gone through it now, many of whom have had a walk, a relationship with Christ for over 10 years, who have said this course was pivotal and foundational in helping them take the next step in their walk with Christ. We have an awesome team of facilitators. I think there's five or six different people. They rotate and take turns every week. If you can't come two weeks in a row, the awesome thing is the way it's set up. You can come one Sunday and then you can skip a Sunday, or you can skip two Sundays because every first Sunday of the month is class one. Every second Sunday of the month is class two. So if you can only come to one in January and then the second one in February, 
that's fine. My plea and my, 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 my encouragement would simply be this. Don't let this idea of omission be true about you. Let's not be guilty as believers in 2020 at Foundations Church of saying, well, I just didn't want to implement what God was speaking over me, and I'd rather stay bound to pornography and addicted to lust and have a terrible temper and criticize and gossip and blah, 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 and whatever your vice may be. My encouragement and my reminder from this invitation is that when it comes to mission, it's not just the outward mission, it's the inward mission of what Christ is attempting and would love to accomplish in us as we are intentional to partner with him in the spiritual disciplines and taking the action steps necessary to make it a reality. So we close this message for real this time. (laughs) Whatever happened to the 11 doubting disciples, right? Some doubted. Matthew was clear. Some doubted. Well, what happened to them? Did they stay that way? And I think this is such a powerful reminder for us that no matter where you are in your spiritual walk right now, you don't have to stay that way. Matthew tells us they doubted, but history tells us a different picture. Peter goes to Italy and becomes a pillar of the church there. Andrew goes to Russia and proclaims Christ for the first time in Russia. And then he goes to Greece and preached the gospel. Philip went across North Africa and Asia Minor. He was killed by a governor because he led the governor's wife to Jesus. Matthew goes to Ethiopia and preaches the gospel there. Tradition says he was stabbed for preaching. Bartholomew goes to Armenia and Southern Arabia. James goes to Syria and is stoned to death, according to Josephus the historian. Judas the Deus goes to Armenia. He's martyred in Lebanon as the main bishop of the church there. Simon the Zealot goes to Iran. Tradition says he was stoned to death. Thomas, remember Thomas, the doubter? Tommy, remember Thomas? Biblical history tells us that he becomes an apostle to the church in India. Many Indian Christians actually trace their spiritual lineage to the doubter. So the point is simply this, wherever you have been is not an excuse to keep you from where God is calling you to go. And I love their boldness and their willingness to say, Lord, I'm in on the mission. I'm in on the mission of what you desire to accomplish in and through my life. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are speaking to all of us today by your spirit. Lord, my prayer for FC in 2020 is that no one is left behind in this, oh man, incredible call to become a disciple, to look more and more like Jesus, to represent you in the world around us. Thank you, Lord, that there is a mission Thank you, Lord, that though we may have had doubts at times and they may still persist, that, Lord, through worship, we have the opportunity to be reminded of who you are and what you are about and what you're accomplishing. And, Lord, the commission to be outward focused and to embrace your authority. And, Lord, this idea of letting you keep moving in our hearts to conform us to you. Lord, we want to be those kind of people. So, Lord, I thank you for this today. I bless your name for your word with every head bowed and eyes still closed. We just want to give an opportunity. Maybe you're here and you say, man, Steve, I I would love to be on mission, but I'm not even, I don't even know Jesus. I'm not even right with Jesus. There's there's issues in my life that have have ruptured my relationship with him and I'm backslid. I, I would just love the opportunity to pray over you today and just let Jesus minister to your heart. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, that's me. Would you slip up your hand? We could pray with you before we close the service. Is there anybody who needs to make a fresh start in your walk with God? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. And Lord, my prayer is that this word would be a seed planted in our hearts. 
that would not be stolen by the enemy through all of the busyness and activities of a new year, but that, Lord, you would keep taking it deeper into the soil of our hearts so that we may increasingly become disciples. We may increasingly be found people who find people. We may increasingly be about your business, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had today to be in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you're here, uh, can we just invite the uh, prayer team to come forward? We're just going to let Shannon lead us in a song right now. And if you need specific prayer, before we close out, would you just give us the opportunity to pray over you, to agree with you, to release faith on your behalf that God's going to move? Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or in need of prayer or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv. that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.